Well, turn with me, if you will, to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. I want to look this evening at this uh, account we read of the uh, rich man and Lazarus. And uh, to put these things in context, uh, the Lord Jesus says in uh, verse 13, ye cannot serve God and mammon, it says in the authorised version, ye cannot serve God uh, and mammon. Uh, that, that word mammon is Aramaic and it means riches. In the ESV it, it, it actually translates it uh, as money. Ye cannot serve God and money, I think it says uh, there. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ here is personifying mammon uh, as, as the God of wealth. And after this we read that the, the Pharisees contend with Jesus. They pour scorn upon him. And the reason is they were covetous. They loved riches. And he tells them very clearly that they are self-righteous, that God knows their hearts. And to illustrate the point, he tells this story. Perhaps again it's a, a true story concerning two men. One is rich, respectable, and well-to-do, and the other is a destitute beggar. The Pharisees, no doubt, would associate themselves more with the, the rich man. Perhaps he was even one of them, we don't know. And let's be honest about this, if we were to ask ourselves, would we rather be rich, or would we rather be a destitute beggar? I think we'd probably all choose to be rich, wouldn't we? We want to, wouldn't want to be uh, a beggar with absolutely uh, nothing to rely upon. But of course, we know the end of the story already. Which of them was most blessed? The first thing I want to note here is that, that between these two men, there was a, a contrast in life. A contrast in life. They are two very different men. Uh, verse 19, I'm reading from the authorised version. It says there was a, a certain rich man. A certain rich man. He had expensive clothes he was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple was uh, reserved for the very rich because purple dye was very expensive. Only the, the, the rich could afford purple cloth or purple clothes. He had expensive clothes. He had fine food. He lived uh, the good life, uh, we might say. Well, you don't have to be very rich today, in a sense, to live uh, the good life, perhaps. Uh, but this man, certainly in his day, was very rich. He had everything that uh, someone might expect to have uh, in society. Uh, and then in verse 20, it tells us there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores. The name Lazarus means without help, and it literally describes this man. He was without help. He had nothing, and he had no one uh, to help him. He lay helpless at the, at the rich man's gate. He had no roof over his head. His belly was empty. He was covered in sores. And to add to his torment, uh, the dogs came and licked the sores. And we could find no, no greater contrast, perhaps, in those days than between uh, these two men. And, of course, that, that contrast still exists in society today. On the one hand, you have the multimillionaires or the billionaires with their extravagant lifestyle. 
And on the other hand, you've got the, the third world beggars. I gave an example of one of those this morning, those who have absolutely nothing. I wonder how many Lazaruses there are in the world today. Far too many, sadly. The rich man had everything and the poor man had nothing. He didn't even have good health. But there's one thing that the rich man didn't have. He had no thought for the poor. Uh, and this wasn't due to ig ignorance because here was uh, this poor man Lazarus laid at his gate. And the rich man knew him. And that's clear when you, if you go on to, to verse 24. Uh, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. You see, he recognized Lazarus. He knew him by name. And therefore he was totally without excuse. This poor man was laid at his gate, but he didn't lift a finger uh, to help him. The Old Testament law, of course, required that the poor should not be neglected. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8, say, If there be among you a poor man, one of thy brethren, within any of thy gates, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Now this rich man was a Jew. We know that because he calls Abraham his father. And this poor man was very literally laid at his gate, and yet he showed no compassion for him at all. Uh, and in, in doing that, or, or not doing it, he ignored the law. And it reminds us, of course, of that rich man we thought about this morning, the one to whom God said, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. And so it was to be here. In the authorised version, it says, A certain rich man. Now, I made the point this morning that there, there might be many like this, but it, it is not referring to all rich men. And there have been many uh, examples of godly rich men uh, down the ages. We thought of a few in, in the scriptures this morning. Uh, but uh, just to mention a, a couple this evening, uh, Lord Shaftesbury uh, was a man who devoted his life to improving the lot of the working classes. He was a rich man, but he had this desire to help those who were not as fortunate as himself. He was the, the founder or president of 13 charitable organisations and vice president or patron uh, of another 20. That tires me out just thinking about it. He was a very active man. Uh, he was dubbed uh, the poor man's earl. And uh, uh, one of his contemporaries, C.H. Spurgeon, said of him uh, af after his death that he was the best man uh, of the age. That was Spurgeon's assessment of this, this wealthy Christian. Uh, and then, of course, there was William Wilberforce, again, uh, a wealthy man. At least he was at the start of his life. I think he, he fell onto harder times later on. But he used his position and his wealth to, to fight for, for the emancipation of the slaves and was involved in a, a lot of other good causes as well. Well, the rich man here, and we're told in verse 25, received good things, whereas Lazarus received evil things or bad things. Do we have 
good things in life. We do, don't we? We have homes, we have clothing, we have food, we have possessions in abundance. And as we thought this morning, with that comes responsibility. I quoted this morning 1 John 3 verse 17, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And like this rich man, we can't claim ignorance of the plight of the poor. We see it on our TV sets and in our newspapers. And we have to ask ourselves, what, what do we do to help those in need? It's something that demands our consideration, I believe, uh, as Christians. The next thing I want to note here is that there was a common end. We're told the beggar died, the rich man also one event overtakes them both. Death is no respecter of persons. Ecclesiastes 9.3 says that there is one event uh, to all. We can't avoid it. It's going to come uh, sooner or later. Alexander the Great, seeing uh, Diogenes, the Greek philosopher, looking attentively uh, at a parcel of human bones, asked him what he was looking for. And Diogenes replied, that which I cannot find, the difference between your father's bones and those of his slaves. You see, we all meet the same end. And so Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, the house of mourning is the end of all men. Well, there are two men here. One is rich, influential, respectable, and the other is very literally a nobody, we might say. Job 21 verse 23 says, One dieth in his full strength, and another dieth in the bitterness of his soul. They shall lie down alike in the dust. We all meet the same end. Only one thing is certain in life, however long, however short, short it may be, that ultimately we must pass from this life. Psalm 89 says, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his own soul from the hand of the grave? Well, of course, we can't do that, can we? Jonathan Edwards wrote, The bodies of those that made such a noise and tumult when alive, when dead, lie as quietly among the graves of their neighbours as any others. Well, it's a fact, we can't avoid it, that we all live in the, uh, the shadow of death, death, and therefore we need to be ready for it. We need to be trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that knowledge ought to affect the, the way that we live, desiring to serve the Lord. And it should affect our attitude towards others as well, particularly to the lost, to the poor, uh, and to the needy. Well, we've noted there was a, a contrast in life, but there was also a, a contrast in death. They both died but they went to two very different places. The beggar died alone. He had no one to care for him. He had no one to mourn for him. Whether he was buried or not, I don't know. But whilst no one else is concerned, God sees and God knows. The scripture says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now to us, death is a, a very solemn thing a very sad thing but to God it is very precious 
God cares for the saints in the hour of death. And here we see that he sends his angels to carry Lazarus into Abraham's bosom. It signifies the, uh, the place of the departed saints, a place of safety, a place of blessing, a place that is sometimes referred to as paradise. He'd suffered greatly in this life, but now his, his trials and his sufferings were over uh, and comfort had come at last. Jesus in John chapter 14 said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. It's an interesting statement when you think about it. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but, but heaven ex already existed, didn't it? But he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven was already perfect, but he is going to prepare. When we're expecting guests who are coming to stay, we, we prepare, don't we? we? We get a room ready. We make sure we've got food in store and so forth. And the Lord Jesus Christ prepares to receive every saint into glory. He doesn't simply prepare a room, he prepares a mansion. He says, in my father's house are many mansions, I go to prepare a place uh, for you. Now, I, I can't tell you what that means. We can't really understand it with human thinking, but if, if Jesus is preparing it, then it will be a very wonderful place uh, indeed. Lazarus died alone, but of course he wasn't alone. The Lord was there. We sometimes say, well, so-and-so doesn't have very long for this world. But the heavenly perspective is this. The Lord says he will soon be with us. The Lord Jesus says we must prepare a place for him, and he tells his angels to go and to prepare that place. And then he sends them to transport that loved saint uh, into his presence. It would be good perhaps to finish on that note, but of course there's, there's more here and we can't ignore it. And we think of loved ones in glory and we need to ask ourselves, will, will I be, where, be there with them uh, in that place of blessing? We're told here that the rich man also died uh, and was buried. And no doubt because he was a, a rich man and well-known and very popular, they, they would have made great lamentation over him, unlike Lazarus. But of course he is no longer a rich man. We can't take our riches with us when we leave this world. And we're not told that the angels were sent uh, for this rich man. And the rich man didn't awake in heaven. In fact, we find here the three most solemn words, perhaps, in the whole of Scripture, and in hell. He awoke in hell. He awoke in great torment. Uh, and here in this place of torment, he can see Abraham and Lazarus afar off in that place of blessing. Not only is he suffering, but he realizes what he has lost. Jesus, in Matthew 25, verse 46 says some shall go away into everlasting punishment and some into eternal life puts things in context doesn't it it puts this world in context which of these men was the most blessed well from a human point of view everyone would say well it was it, it was the rich man but when this world was over and they entered into eternity that the tables were turned it was Lazarus 
who was the most blessed. We see the, the contrast between the rich and the poor, between certain people in, in this life, and we think that some are blessed and others perhaps are not. But if we could see things in terms of eternity, then we might think very differently. Abraham says uh, to the rich man, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. No wonder the Lord Jesus exhorts us to lay up treasure in heaven. And then we note next that there is here a, a cry for mercy. At verse 24, And the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He craves a, a drop of water from one for, for whom in this life he couldn't spare even a crumb. And this request is not granted. These two men didn't enjoy the same blessings in life, but they had the, the same opportunity to believe and to trust in God. And now it is Lazarus who is blessed and the rich man who is tormented. Not only is it a place of torment, but it is a, a place of no relief. He's not even granted a drop of water for his tongue. And we see also in verse 26 uh, that it is a, a place of no escape. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. When men and women leave this world, they end up on one side or other of that great gulf. And the scripture tells us, the Lord Jesus tells us very clearly that there is no passing over from one side to the other. Our future in eternity is determined in this life. And therefore the, the scriptures urge us to repent and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust in him. We're told to call upon him while he is near. The scripture declares today it is the day of salvation. I want to suggest that Lazarus had two things that the rich man didn't, despite all the appearances. The first thing he had that the, the rich man didn't was faith. We know that because the, the scripture says that without faith it is impossible to please God. And since Lazarus found favour with God, then we can conclude that he must have had faith. The other thing he has here that the, the rich man doesn't is a name. Well, yes, I know the rich man had a name, but it's, it's not recorded in Scripture. You'll sometimes hear him referred to as, uh, as Dives, but that doesn't come from the Scripture. And it's simply a Latin word that means rich man. In John chapter 10, we're told that the Lord Jesus knows his sheep and that he calls them by name. And so here he calls Lazarus by name because Lazarus is one of his sheep. Does the Lord Jesus know you by name? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? I referred to that word certain. It's actually fairly peculiar to Luke's writings. He refers here to a certain rich man, a certain beggar. 
in chapter 18 there is a certain ruler uh, uh, and also in chapter 18 a certain blind man and in fact he uses the word 21 times in his gospel and 20, uh, 19 times uh, in the book of Acts and, and it draws a distinction not all rich men will be lost not all beggars will be saved not all rulers will go away disappointed not all of the blind are healed Lazarus was not saved because he was a beggar he was saved because God loved him and yet in order to be saved there is that sense as I said this morning in which we must become poor blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven uh, James says hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love, in, love him we need to have that, that spiritual poverty, that poverty of spirit, to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our sin and to cast ourselves upon the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lazarus, of course, lived under the Old Testament dispensation. Love to, for, for God today is shown by love for Christ. A heartfelt gratitude that he should come and die for our sins. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us and gave himself for us. I can't think of any better reason to love the Lord Jesus Christ than the fact that he died for me uh, upon the cross. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved is the promise uh, of scripture. Uh, and we see here that there is a, a day coming, sadly, when it will be too late. That day will be past. Uh, these two men, they end up in eternity, one in heaven, one in hell. And that, that is where they will be uh, for all eternity. But I want to note also here that there is a, a concern for others. Uh, and this is something that's almost unexpected, perhaps. Here is this rich man. He is in torment in hell he is granted no relief and yet finally he shows concern for others notably for his five brothers who are still alive verse 27 then he said i pray thee therefore father that thou wouldest send him to my father's house for i have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment in hell he realises uh, not only uh, what his unbelief has cost him himself, but he realises how his ungodly life perhaps has influenced others. And he asks that Lazarus might be sent to warn his brothers. He doesn't want them to end up like him. He says, send Lazarus that he may testify unto them. In other words, that he might warn them to flee from the wrath to come and in a sense this puts us to shame doesn't it what concern do we have for those who are heading for a lost eternity how earnestly do we pray for them how often do we seek to plead with them uh, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ the human mind cannot grasp the wonders of heaven and it most certainly cannot perceive the terrors of hell and perhaps it's a blessing uh, that we can't but if we could if we could even begin to glimpse that i think it would change our attitude and our priorities in life 
We live in a society that has cast all thoughts of judgment aside. Humanism teaches that there is no discernible purpose in life. That's a pretty miserable outlook in itself. But it teaches there is no discernible purpose in life and no afterlife. And there are many even today who, who claim to believe in heaven, but they argue that there is no hell. Well, if you search the Gospels, the Lord Jesus spoke very clearly of both, and I think he spoke, of, uh, spoke as often about hell as he did about heaven. He is the, the faithful and true witness, and he warns us that there is a wrath, that there is a judgment uh, to come. Well, this, this rich man, at, the, uh, at last he shows concern, but sadly his, his concern is too late because neither he nor Lazarus can return from the dead. Just as an aside, we, we hear of some people today who claim to be able to contact the departed. Of course, they can't because it's clearly contrary to what we read in the scriptures and what we read here amongst other places. But it's interesting when, that when they supposedly receive these communications from the departed, uh, they always seem to be positive messages. They're, they're messages of comfort uh, and of hope. But I wonder what the, the departed would say if they really could uh, communicate. Well, if they were unbelievers, if they were lost like this man, they would say, Rent, repent and believe, lest you also come into this place of torment. That's what the, the message that this man wanted to send but wasn't allowed uh, to do so. But then I want to note also that there is here a, a convincing argument. We see the response that Abraham gives in verse 29. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We see that his request is denied. Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And it's telling us that the, the scriptures are sufficient. The word of God contains all that is necessary for a man to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent from his sin and to trust in Almighty God. The scriptures, of course, are the, the written word of God and they are sufficient because they reveal to us the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is God's ultimate revelation uh, to mankind. We have great respect for the scriptures. They are the word of God. But at the same time, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the Saviour who is revealed to us uh, in the scriptures. Nevertheless, the, the scriptures we're told here are sufficient to reveal him to us, to, to reveal everything that is necessary for us and for our salvation. The Pharisees thought that they had eternal life because they kept the law. Jesus says to them in John 5 verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them, and it is they which testify of me. You see, they thought they had eternal life through the scriptures, but they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and yet if they really knew the scriptures, the scriptures speak of him. The Old Testament scriptures all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God testifies of him, and if they truly accepted the scriptures and believed the scriptures, then they would have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by the scriptures, not simply through reading them every day, but we are saved by believing in the one of whom they testify, even the Lord Jesus Christ. People sometimes say to me, well, how can I know there is a God? How can I know the Bible is true? And amongst other things, I will encourage them to read it for themselves because it's when we sit and sincerely read the scriptures that God speaks to us uh, through it. But you know, very often people don't want that. They don't want to spend time reading the scriptures. They want a sign. They want a dream. They want a, a revelation. They want something dramatic. Uh, and then they say, then I'll believe. But look what it says here. It says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, which testify of Christ, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Even if someone rose from the dead, people would not believe because they haven't believed the scriptures. They haven't accepted what God has said uh, in his word. And so again, the, the request is denied. Lazarus is not allowed to return. And yet how gracious God is because one did rise from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ, having died for our sins upon the cross, he rose again uh, from the dead. And do men believe now that one has risen from the dead? Well, they don't, do they? God has given this great sign. He's, he, he's raised his son again from the dead, assuring us of victory through his work upon the cross. And yet still people will not believe and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 11 verse 29 says, There shall no sign be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. What was the sign of Jonah? I think I spoke about Jonah here not very long ago. Uh, well, the sign of, uh, of Jonah was that he was dead to the world for three days. He was swallowed by a whale. As far as the world was concerned, Jonah was dead. And then he appeared, as it were, back from the dead. Not literally rising again, but it appeared as though he had come back from the dead to preach uh, to the people of Nineveh. And so the Lord Jesus Christ died. He was buried. The third day, he very literally rose again from the dead. Well, the rich man didn't live uh, to see it. He died uh, before the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether his brothers lived to see it, I don't know. And whether any of them believed, I don't know. But a sign has been given. And yet still, men won't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we, we learn here that what we have or we, what we don't have in life is not important in itself. It may seem so uh, at the time. But there is only one thing that matters, and that is that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The great lesson, the very solemn lesson here this evening is that there are two places after death, and we all go to one or the other. And the big question for us this evening is, where will you spend eternity where will you spend eternity 
Revelation 14 verse 3 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. You may not think of the, the dead as blessed, but those who have died in the Lord are blessed indeed because they are already with him in glory. Are you in the Lord? If you died today, do you know that you would go to be with him for all eternity? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Amen.